Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. We pray that the Spirit of God, which revives all of us when we open up our heart and surrender to Him, would be with you today, would continue to renew you from the inside out. I love when the Scripture tells us, though, that though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we can be renewed daily. What a great promise from God that you can be renewed daily. I know for many of us still in quarantine, we're here in Virginia, in the U.S. Uh, things are beginning to open up a little bit, but it gets a little bit monotonous. It feels like every day is kind of the same. You wake up, you get the kids ready, you get them off to school, which means into the kitchen table to start their homework, and you kind of try to get your work done while the kids get their work done. And it just seems like Groundhog Day. Things are happening the same all the time. I don't know about you, but I feel like my outward sometimes is wasting away. I find myself getting maybe a little bit more impatient than I would like. I find myself getting bored. But the Bible says that though the outward's wasting away, yet inwardly we can be renewed daily. That's an encouragement. Every day can be different, can be new from the inside out. That's the way God's Spirit works with us. It's changing us from the inside and working its way out. You know, religion will teach you that you got to change the outside and hopefully it'll work its way in. If you do certain things the right way, if you uh, behave a certain way, then your heart will change. But that would never work. Jesus came to renew us from the inside. That is our spirit. It's the thing that Jesus comes to renew so that every day may seem the same on the outside, but you're approaching it with new life and a new heart that wants to follow him. So let's pray today as we uh, begin our message here together. Father, we thank you that you are here. Whether you're watching in your homes or in, you're listening to this in your car, on your computer, doesn't matter, God. You're as much there as you are here. And I pray that your spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, would be alive and working in everyone who's viewing this today. That today could be a day of renewal, a day of revival happening in our hearts as we open them up to your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I've been thinking a lot uh, as we've been in the midst of, you know, the, the COVID crisis that we're dealing with. I found myself wanting a lot more self-control in my life. I'm wanting to operate more in the area of self-control. And I've, I, uh, I don't know if it's because it's the constant lure of Ben and Jerry's. It seems like I'm, I'm tempted to run up to the store one more time to get one more thing. And I'm convincing myself that I'm going to get toilet paper, but we all really know it's, it's a Ben and Jerry's trip, especially the Chunky Monkey. I have a specific weakness for Chunky Monkey. And uh, it probably needs to be changed to Chubby Hubby because that's what I'll become if I keep eating Chunky Monkey. But I need <laughs> to have a little bit more self-control in my life. Uh, or maybe it's just, you know, I mentioned how you're home and you're with the family all the time. And, and I tell you, Romy and I have really been enjoying our family time. But when it's always family time, you can find yourself getting a little short and a little impatient with each other. I find myself getting irritated by things that used to not really irritate me that much because they're constantly in front of me. 
And I want to have more self-control. I don't want to let the things bother me that I should just be letting roll right off my back. I want to be able to have the prayer life that I know that is vital for any relationship with Jesus. And I want to be able to spend time in the Word, but yet I'm finding myself distracted by Facebook or bike rides that I'm missing out. I love cycling or things that I, I wish I was doing instead of what I'm supposed to be doing. And you would think in times like this, without a lot of stuff to do, that your self-control would be better. But I found that my self-control is a bit maxed out. And I want more of it operating in my life. You know, as I began to look through scriptures to see what God had to say about this area of self-control, I stumbled on this verse, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. And it says, like a city whose walls are broken uh, through is a person who lacks self-control. If you lack self-control, you're like a city whose walls are broken down. Now, at the time of writing this, walls were a pretty big deal in cities. They didn't have airplanes yet. And so a wall kept the right people in and the bad people out. It kept you from being constantly invaded or living in the fear that someone else could just walk in and take what you've worked so hard for. And when you lack self-control, it's as if you don't even have a wall up that anybody can just come and do whatever they want to you because you lack the self-control to resist the manipulation of other people. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, Paul writes that one of the marks of the last days, like the end times, is that people will lack self-control. Isn't that interesting? Proverbs writes about lack control, lack of self-control being like a city without walls. And Paul writes later in Timothy that one of the marks of the last days is that people will lack self-control. So it's something we really need. And I don't know whether we're in the last days, the middle days, the beginning days. Only God really knows that. But I do know that I have observed in my own life and certainly in the lives of what's going on around the world, a real lack of self-control. Like it's just people say whatever it is that they they want to say without even thoughts about the impact of their statements and of their words. And people will say things on the internet, on social media, that's much stronger than they would ever say to someone who's when they're face to face with them. And sometimes you find a, a little bit of lacking of compassion or a lack of love and some of the exchanges that are being made online or uh, you know, just maybe in, even in your neighborhoods, maybe it is face to face, but I find people would say things online that they would never say to a person's face. It's a lack of self-control. And I've noticed it most in my own life that when I lack self-control, I open myself up to the manipulation of others. When I, when I don't learn to control my thinking, when I don't learn to control my flesh, then I'm easily influenced by the loudest voice in the room. I easily follow whoever sounds like they've got a good argument. Well, that sounds good. I think I'll follow that. But it's a lack of self-control. We need self-control. It's God's intention for us to live that way. Because if we don't, we will follow every single uh, lie of the enemy or every convincing argument, and it can quickly lead us astray from where God's called us to be. It can quickly lead us astray as disciples where we don't realize, but we have 
followed someone else's teachings. It happened in the New Testament times. They had false teachers that were coming in that sounded very convincing. They were great preachers, great communicators, but they were preaching a different gospel than the one Jesus brought. They became very popular. And because of that, the church in the early days was facing a real crisis because people were following false teachers. And if you read most of Paul's letters, a great deal of what he dealt with in, in, in bringing correction and, and direction to the church was dealing with these false teachers. Well, how does that happen? How does somebody who is only one generation removed from Jesus being physically on the earth has already lost the plot and begins to follow false teachings? And I would say it's probably because of lack of self-control. When you don't control yourself, then you will follow somebody else who wants to control you. It's easy to get off base when you just follow charismatic leaders who may be preaching something that sounds great but doesn't line up with the Word of God or follow a secular teaching or some other sort of self-help diagnostic gospel of self which has all of the, the looks of something that if I follow these 10 steps, I'll be happy. And what you don't realize is I'm actually pursuing happiness instead of godliness. And it's easy to get off track. It happened with the first century church, and it can happen to us. But self-control is the thing that will limit other people's ability to negatively influence our lives if we have self-control. We'll see truth from falsehood. So how do we get it? How do I develop this self-control? How do I get to the point where I don't just do what I know I'm supposed to do even though I hate it, but I get to the place where I want to do the things that God wants me to do? That's probably the epitome of what self-control really looks like, is where I no longer do something I hate because I'm supposed to do it. All right, I'll eat kale if that's what I'm supposed to do. I'll go exercise. I hate it, but I know I have to do that. That's not really self-control. Self-control is when I want to do the things that I know that I should do. And that requires a different kind of change than just thinking differently. And so as I began to look up this scripture, I've already shared a few scriptures with you. There's something that I came to realize when I read Galatians chapter 5. And that is that self-control is not a work of our flesh. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, lists the fruit of the Spirit. And it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of the flesh. What does that mean? That means that my flesh, my flesh is both literally my flesh, but it's all of my physical wants and desires and the things that please my body, right? Whether it's food, whether it's a lack of sleep, a lack of exercise, or whatever else that pleases our own flesh. When we're led by our flesh, we will never be able to develop the self-control 
that only comes as a result of the Spirit's work in us. You see, self-control is not a fruit of the flesh. My flesh will never lead me to a place of control. Only the Spirit can do that. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Interestingly, Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the paragraph above that is talking about acts of the flesh. So the fruit of the Spirit is in direct contrast to acts of the flesh. And here's where I think we can easily get it wrong. It's where I've made this mistake in my own life. I try to get my flesh to control itself, but it's impossible. It's incapable of doing that. The only thing that will develop self-control in my life is if I yield my flesh and my spirit to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. When my flesh is in control, it will always do what it wants to do. My flesh never wants to do what my spirit wants to do. It wants to do what it wants to do. It wants to sleep. It wants to eat. It wants to do things that satisfy my flesh. Those things aren't bad things, but if they are the only things that we are allowing to dictate the patterns of our lives, then it's not going to fully lead us into the place where God intends for us to be. You see, my flesh will never surrender. It will never surrender. It will never relinquish control. My spirit has to be in charge of my flesh, and it has to force my flesh to surrender. Or as it says in Galatians 5, it needs to be crucified. The flesh can never be in control. Let, let, me, let me explain it to you this way. You see, as human beings, we're made up of, of three parts, right? We're made up of flesh, which I've already told you about that. The Bible calls it flesh. You can call it body, whatever works better for you. Um, it's made up of our flesh, our soul, and our spirit. Those are the three things that make up a man. Our flesh I already described. Our soul I would probably describe as our mind, uh, our emotions, our thought patterns, uh, and our will, our human will. Those are our soul. But our spirit is the eternal part of us that lives beyond the grave. Our spirit is what resides in heaven and enters into a new body uh, when we go to heaven if we believe in Jesus. That's our spirit. It's the eternal part of us. It separates us from all of the animals and all of creation that we have eternity in our hearts, as it says in the Bible. That eternal part of us is our spirit. It's different to our soul. It's different to our flesh. Now, here's how revival and salvation works for us. Jesus came and he became a man. The word of God, God himself became flesh. He put on the clothing of human skin, of a human body. But he was fully God and fully man. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. When he was fully God and fully man, he could have easily performed all of the miracles he did on this earth, and he could have lived above every other man, every other human that ever lived. He could have pushed the divinity button and performed any miracle he wanted to. But Jesus did something very interesting. He emptied himself of his divinity and chose to work under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus never performed any miracles until after he was baptized and received the Holy Spirit. Why did he do this? 
He could have performed every miracle he did because he was God. He could have made every prophetic word and read the hearts of mankind as God, but he chose to empty himself and operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why I think he did that? Because he came to give us an example that you can do exactly what I've done. You can empty yourself, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus says you'll do even greater things than I did. Imagine that. Jesus raised people from the dead. So this process of Jesus emptying himself and being filled with the Holy Spirit gave us an example to follow that if we too will empty ourselves and allow God's Spirit to come in to take control of our lives, it will redeem our human spirit with the Spirit of God and will be changed from the inside out. Remember we talked about at the very beginning that God's change in us is internal first, not external. In other words, I can't change my flesh and hope my spirit will follow along because the flesh always will do what the flesh wants to do. The only thing that's good for my flesh is a cross. It needs to be crucified. The flesh is also part of my sinful nature, that I was born with a sinful nature because of the original sin of Adam and Eve. That sin followed every human being after that, that we're born into, into sin. Or in Psalms, it says that we were born in iniquity, shaven in iniquity, born into sin. We were sinners when we were born. Before we ever committed a sin, we already had sin on us. Our, our flesh was corrupted. Wasn't God's design, but it's because of our own sin that we end up like this. So the only solution for my flesh is a cross. It's for me to crucify my flesh, but flesh will never crucify itself. It will never choose to go to the cross. It is our redeemed spirit that crucifies our flesh. Did you hear me? Our spirit, when it gets uh, emptied, when we empty of ourselves and allow God's Spirit to come in us, He redeems our human spirit with His. So it's His Spirit that's at work within us, not just our unredeemed spirit. It means that He has changed us. He has renewed us. But our flesh will never crucify itself. It has no desire to. It lacks self-control. Because self-control is not a fruit of the flesh. It's a fruit of of the Spirit. So if we want to develop this in our life, we got to figure out and learn how to put our spirit in control of our flesh and our soul. I know some people get this idea that, you know, the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 12 that we need to renew our mind, right? And renewing our mind is an important process in the life of a disciple. You got to learn to think differently. Repentance is such a big part of the word revival, and to repent means to change the way you think. But how do you change the way you think? Because if I repent, I change my thinking. And if I change my thinking, I develop self-control. But here's the problem. The mind will never renew itself. And the mind driven by the flesh will only do what the flesh wants to do. So if the flesh wants to satisfy itself and all of its desires, then it will control and manipulate your mind to do what it wants to do. If you don't believe me, then why do they make alarm clocks with snooze buttons? It's because your flesh wants to dictate your soul. 
Your flesh wants to be in control all of the time. It wants to control your mind, your will, and your emotions. It will tell you what to think, it will tell you how to think, and it will tell you how to feel. That's why we are built with a flesh, and God gives us a flesh for pleasure, but it's never meant to be in control. Our spirit is what's in control. By the way, the mind can't lead. The mind has to be led. And the mind is either led by the flesh or it's led by the spirit. It's your choice. If my mind is led by my spirit, but my spirit is not redeemed, then all it's going to do is actually follow the flesh. I hope I'm not confusing you with this. But we need to make sure that we have our spirit redeemed by the spirit of God. Because then we will follow God's will for our life. And then when our mind develops what the Bible describes as the mind of Christ. We begin to think the way Jesus thinks. And our mind follows our redeemed spirit. My spirit yields to God's invitation of love. That's the great thing. God invites us into this loving relationship. And when our spirit yields, it doesn't yield to a heavy-handed leadership model. Our spirit doesn't yield to the instructions of God. Our spirit yields to an invitation of love. That God our Father has invited us into His family as part of His family as sons and daughters. And the Bible says He loved us so much that He sent His Son to die for us, to redeem. That means buy back. God bought back His kids at the price of His own Son. And there has never been a greater love than this world has ever known than God the Father who sent His Son and the Son who willingly emptied of Himself and willingly crucified His flesh so that we could be redeemed and bought back into the Father's household. That's what love looks like. So our response is not one out of, you need to do this. It's an invitation of love that we're responding to. You know, when Jesus emptied of himself, we see a picture of this in the garden, which is probably the greatest picture of a spirit-led life. When he is praying in the garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross and he's facing this incredible pain that he's about to have. And he says, Lord, take this cup from me. Take this burden from me, this responsibility. He's feeling the weight of it. His soul, his mind, his will, his emotions, and his flesh are both crying out. And they're saying, this is too much to bear. The flesh knows that it's going to be crucified. The emotions and the mind knows that he's going to be rejected by everyone and faced as an outcast. And he understands that his flesh is crying out, not this way. So his flesh is asking, his mind is asking, Lord, take this cup from me. But then he says... Not my will, but yours be done. He is choosing to be led by the Spirit of God that's working in him. This is the essence of prayer. It's the exchange of my will for his will. When I catch this, then I'm really being led by the Spirit. If my prayer is not an exchange of my will for his, then it's just a wish list. That's all it is. God, here's my shopping list. 
Here's my letter to Santa is what it becomes. But when there's an exchange, God, not my will, but yours be done. Then our spirit gets renewed. We develop the mind of Christ and our flesh gets led right back to the cross. Our flesh is crucified. It means you are no longer in charge. Flesh, you're not calling the shots anymore. My spirit's calling the shots and my spirit is being renewed daily because it's been redeemed by my response to the invitation of love that my Father has given to it. I have submitted my heart to God. My spirit has been renewed and it's been given back to me and now it's in charge. Father, not my will, but yours be done. I pray that we catch that from Jesus. I pray that I would live my life with that prayer in my heart. God, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Pretty soon if we live that way, my will becomes His will. And I develop self-control. Self-control is the description of a flesh and soul being led by a redeemed spirit. That's what it is. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And when I catch this, and when I live this way, and when I'm led by my spirit and not by my flesh, and not by my soul, then self-control becomes a lot more about what I say yes to than what I say no to. You know, we think self-control is about putting down the spoon and putting on the running shoes. That's what self-control is. It's about saying no. It's about, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's not doing the things my flesh wants to do. But I found that when I have put my redeemed spirit in charge of my flesh and my soul, that it's much more about what I'm saying yes to. <laughs> when I'm driving a car down the road, down a, a twisty mountain road, I used to ride motorcycles on twisty mountain roads um, pretty fast. I'm not going to say how fast. But one of the things that I noticed is it's easy to become distracted about with all of the places that your bike should not go. You can become distracted with the cliff or the bend in the road or the river that's down there. But if I'm focused on all the things I shouldn't be doing, if I'm focusing on all the places that I shouldn't go, that's probably where I'm going to end up. I am going fast enough, legally, usually, where I need to stay focused more on where I'm going than focusing on what I'm supposed to be avoiding. Because whatever I look at, that's where I'm going. You see, when I'm led by my redeemed spirit, I, it's more about what I'm saying yes to. On a motorcycle, I'm focusing on that yellow line and looking ahead of the curve as far as I can go. But I'm looking at where I'm going, not where I'm not going. When my life gets redeemed, when my spirit gets redeemed, when I put him in charge, vision flows in me. It flows through me. I can see where God's calling me to go. And if I've got a vision for my life, it doesn't happen because somebody else gave it to me. If I've got a vision for my life, it's not because I prayed for vision. It's because I submitted my spirit to God. It got redeemed. And as a result, now I'm focused more on what I'm saying yes to than what I'm saying no to. One of the biggest tragedies I see in the Christian life is that most people who aren't yet believers that have not gotten this revival happening in them think that being a Christian is all about the things you can't do. As if the Bible is a long list of don'ts. The Bible is a book of promise. 
It's a book of expectation of what God can and will do for me. It's a book of healing and salvation and deliverance. It is a book of promises, a love letter that God's written to us. But if my mind and my flesh read it, I'll only see it as a list of rules and regulations and things not to do. I'll focus on the no's. But if I have been redeemed, if my spirit is in charge, I see it as the book of promise that God intended for it to be. And I see the love of the Father in His words to you and His words to me. Truth is, revival, it requires self-control. Quite a bit. But it's more self-control to tell us where we're going than what we're avoiding. My hope and prayer is that you would live with revival in your heart. That you would see streams of living water coming from you. That's enough water for you and everybody you encounter. That we, as revivalists, as disciples of Jesus, will seek out the dry places what we can find because we have living water coming from us. We don't fear dry places. We're not looking for a pool to sit by. We're looking for dry places because we've submitted to the process of revival. We have had ourselves emptied of our own flesh and our own desires. We've crucified the flesh. Our spirit's been redeemed by the Spirit of God. We've developed the mind of Christ. We've crucified the flesh. And now we have streams of living water flowing from us. And you realize there's too much here. This can't just be for me. I've got so much fruit happening in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There's too much just for me. I got to get this out. An apple tree doesn't bear apples for itself. It doesn't eat its own apples. It bears apples so that it can feed so many more people. And in that fruit, there's seed for a whole orchard. That's God's intention for us, that we would have so much water flowing from us that we have more than enough for every dry place where we set our foot. And then revival doesn't just happen in us, but it happens around us. And anybody who wants in, come and drink from the water that flows from me because it's Jesus' Spirit living in me. And I've got more than enough for me, more than enough for my family. I'm living a life of self-control and I'm saying yes to the things of God. I'm waking up every morning with vision in my heart. I'm not hitting the snooze button anymore. I'm waking up because vision has infected me. It's filled me and I know where I'm going. I know how to get there and I want to bring as many people with me as possible. God bless you. I hope that speaks to you today. And let's live with self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit, not an act of the flesh. We love you. God bless. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.